Well, it's nice to be back. This is my first Sunday here in about a month, and the last month has been uh, really quite eventful. Uh, just about a month ago, I was setting personal bests in the weight room and uh, deadlifting more and squatting more and bench pressing more than ever before. And including the days back when, believe it or not, I used to play college football. I was quite an athlete back in those days, but lately I've been amazed to find myself literally stronger than ever. And shortly after that, I took a trip up to Canada for two weeks. And uh, this, was, this was mainly a work trip. I had a few days off. Uh, so I spent some time with friends and uh, had, a, had a nice time relaxing and hanging out with them. But I spent some time uh, working as well and spending some extended time with Pastor Chris Powell in Toronto and the church there, which is the s sponsoring church of this church, which is a church plant, started in 2017. We're still connected with the church in Toronto. We still share leadership with them for the time being. And so I go back regularly to spend time with them and report on what's going on. So I spent quite a bit of time with Pastor Chris. It was encouraging to see what's going on there. They got some young uh, up-and-coming leaders in the pipeline, and it looks like they're really on track to be adding some men to their leadership team in the relatively near future. And they're uh, very much committed to us here in Barbados, but at the same time, they're, they're now six years deep in this project, and they're beginning to think about planting again, but this time more likely in the greater Toronto area, or the GTA, as it's abbreviated. Uh, not next year or the year after or anything like that, but that's sort of the next thing that they're looking at. So they want to continue to build and expand their leadership team and work on budgeting and planning towards that end. And just encouraging to see what's going on up there. I spent, so I spent some time with some of those um, guys that are in the leadership development track up there. Uh, preached a couple of times while I was there. But it was also encouraging to me that they were, they didn't have me preach uh, morning and evening both Sundays, which is what we typically have done in times past, where Chris will come down and preach four times here over two Sundays, and I'll go up and preach four times there. They have such a stable of preachers up there now that it's like, they're glad that I'm there and I'm welcome to be there, and they, they want me to be there, but they don't need me to be there, which is which is good. That's a milestone of development, right? Like as you, um, as you continue to develop and grow, it's nice to be able to take on more and more of that responsibility. So, you know, they're really, um, really moving forward, and, and that was encouraging to see. A really enjoyable trip. It was appropriately full and productive without being overbearing and exhausting, and uh, it was just a nice, nice mix of productivity and pleasure and relaxation. And then I flew back Monday uh, last week, like two Mondays ago, and was feeling fantastic. Around dinner time, I started to experience some stomach pain. But of course, I'd been flying, so I'd been eating in the airport and eating on the plane, and I just thought something didn't agree with me. Well, lo and behold, Tuesday, the stomach pain was still there, and this time accompanied by a fever. And Tuesday night, overnight to Wednesday, the pain started getting worse and moving down to the lower right quadrant of my abdomen. And I said, boy, I gotta check out this might be appendicitis. So Wednesday morning I went in to the doctor and I kind of, I had always heard it was very excruciating and in my case it wasn't, it was, it was manageable such that if it wasn't appendicitis I could just push through it. 
Um, so I kind of half expected them to just do tests and say, don't worry, it's not your appendicitis, you just got a little stomach bug, carry on. But instead they came back and said, yeah, it's appendicitis and we got to do emergency surgery today. So Wednesday night I found myself on the operating table and uh, just wasn't up to being here, even in attendance uh, last Sunday, uh, let alone preaching. So I was grateful for the help of brothers that stepped up to uh, take care of things here. But here I am back this morning. And the reason I'm telling you all this in this particular context as I step up to preach is more than just catching up relationally as we haven't seen each other in basically a month. And it's more than just a personal interest thing. I'm telling you all this because it's actually a really great example of what James says in the passage we're looking at this morning, James 4, 13 to 15. You don't know what tomorrow will bring. I messaged Tevin earlier this week because he's preaching through James right now when he has occasion to preach here at CRBC, other than last week when it was foisted on him at the last minute and he preached something from Philippians that he preached before. But ordinarily, he's, he's working through James, as I'm ordinarily working through Revelation. And so I didn't want to step on his toes, so to speak. So I asked him, can I preach on this this Sunday? Do you mind? And, and uh, the reason that I'm stepping out of my Revelation series to, to touch this this morning is because I've been thinking a lot about these verses, just in light of what I've experienced over the last couple of weeks. And I think it could be helpful for us all to reflect on this together. We really don't know what tomorrow will bring. You don't know what tomorrow will bring. Here's our first point of study this morning. You will tend to overestimate the constancy and predictability of your life. You will tend to overestimate the constancy and predictability of your life. Our passage tells us two things that are very important to take to heart. First, you don't know what tomorrow will bring. And secondly, you are a mist. What you are. You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Regarding the first one, many people will say, well, it's true that I don't know with 100% certainty. But I do have a pretty good idea what will happen tomorrow. And in a sense, that's true. Many, many days happen more or less as we expect them to. Many days do. Perhaps it's fair to say that even most days happen basically as we expect them to. There are the, you know, the little obstacles that come up or the little unforeseen monkey wrenches that we have to troubleshoot as we go about our lives. But it's probably fair to say that not, not, even, not, not only many, but even most days happen more or less as we expect them to. But here's the thing, and this is what James is telling us. There are some days that you just do not see coming. There are some days in life that you had no idea that that day would go that way. These days remind us that we are not sovereign and omnipotent, as if we control our own lives. Nor are we even omniscient, not controlling, but at least knowing 
the course that our life will take. Now, these days that we do not see coming remind us that we are neither omnipotent, all-powerful, nor omniscient, all-knowing. We are not, as William Ernest Henley said in his poem Invictus, masters of our own fate and captains of our own soul. We're just not. We do not control what happens to us. We do not even know what will happen to us. In my case, I was just cruising along in life. Stronger than ever before. Had a great trip to Toronto. Uh, on the plane, I was feeling fine. I was ready to come home, spend the rest of Monday relaxing with my family, and then Tuesday, get back to normal work here in the church. I love country music, and I like to play little gigs at restaurants and bars around the island. And I had a couple scheduled for last week. I was looking forward to those. I was looking forward to getting back in the weight room, setting even higher personal bests, <laughs> making great gains. In fact, I had, I had bought uh, Tennyson's advice. It was called fractional weights, little quarter pound weights, so that it maybe you can push yourself to the absolute limit. <laughs> Like if you, if, you, if you can do 300 but not 305, maybe you can do 301 or 300 and a half, right? And you just push and push and push. And this was my mindset. I was ready to come back and push and resume everything I was doing and do everything. And then all of a sudden, out of left field, I found myself on the operating table having an appendix removed. And this has changed... Not, not my life, most likely, but the next few weeks and the next number of months. For me, it'll be a couple weeks before I recover enough to be cleared to lift anything more than 10 pounds. And then when I get to that stage, it's not like, it's not like one day I can't lift 10 pounds and then the next day I can deadlift 300. Right? It'll, be, it'll be gradualism. Right? So this has really changed the course of, it's fair to say, probably this year for me in a way that I didn't anticipate and didn't expect, in a way that I did not even see coming, let alone control. But I'm thankful that in my case it was just appendicitis and that they caught it before it ruptured, which I understand could have been far worse. But you realize that the doctor could have came back in after running some tests about my stomach pain and told me that the tests showed cancer in the abdomen. That's what some people have happened to them, as you well know. Just going through life, everything's all right, get a little pain checked out, boom, you got four months. A friend's dad went into the doctor with stomach pain around 50 years old few years back. An apparently healthy guy who lifted weights and did cardio regularly, he was told that this stomach pain was stage four pancreatic cancer. And within a few months he was gone. Out of nowhere. You do not know what tomorrow will bring. And it's not always health related. Sometimes it's a call or a meeting with your employer and you lose your job out of the blue. 
Sometimes it's hearing that your spouse wants a divorce. Sometimes it's someone else's medical condition that sends you reeling as you realize that you'll soon have to say goodbye. Sometimes you get a call about an accident a loved one was in. Sometimes it's a medical issue, but it's, it's non-life-threatening, but still life-changing, like infertility. Sometimes a friend or a family member abandons or betrays you. Or there's some kind of financial downturn, a financial disaster that sends you back, like in a game of snakes and ladders, all the way down from the head to the tail of the snake, back to square one. After all those years of working and saving and planning, and here you are, as, as destitute as you were when you were 18 and finished school. Whatever it is, sometimes you get a call or you have a conversation or a realization that changes everything and shapes the course of the rest of your life and you just did not see it coming. You simply do not know what tomorrow will bring. And even if you live a hundred years, what you are, this passage tells us, what you are, what you can do is not see tomorrow, right? Or what you cannot do is see tomorrow. What you are is a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Even if you live a hundred years, some mists dissipate and evaporate sooner than others. Depending on the temperature, climate, wind, sun, some mists hang around a little longer, some mists dissipate very quickly. But mist is always fleeting and impermanent. And that is what you are. Very fleeting. Very impermanent. As I said, this is the first point that we ought to take to heart this morning. You will tend to overestimate the constancy and the predictability of your life. Admittedly, there tends to be some constancy and some predictability, often. But our tendency will be to overestimate that. And our tendency will be to underestimate just how quickly and unpredictably things can change. And just how soon the curtain will be drawn on our lives. And we will leave the stage with the final act behind us. Unlike William Ernest Henley said then in his poem Invictus, we are not masters of our own fate and captains of our own souls. Our will is not determinative of what will happen and the course that our lives will take. Rather, and here's the second point that we see in this passage this morning. God's will is determinative of what will happen and the course that our lives will take. 
Look at James 4.15. Instead of saying, tomorrow we'll do this and that. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. So this little section of James is not against planning. But it is instructing us to have a heart disposition of awareness of and submission to the fact that God's will is above our wills and is ultimately determinative of what will happen and the course that our lives will take. Proverbs 16 and verse 9 says, The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Or I like the way the New Living Translation puts it. We can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. That's the sense of it. It's okay to plan. In fact, it's responsible to plan, and it's irresponsible not to plan. My boys are pretty young now, but when they're 16, 17, 18, I would be asking them, what's your plan? They're like, well, you know, God has a plan. So I don't need to plan. I'm like, no, boys. Right? We must lay our plans. And the book of Proverbs has much to say to us about laying plans. Thinking wisely about the world we live in. Making responsible and prudent plans. Carrying those out as best as we can. Diligently. Not being a sluggard. Etc. The book of Proverbs, if you're familiar with it, is chock full of telling you, make good plans. And carry out those plans and be a wise and responsible and diligent person. But in the middle of all these Proverbs about planning wisely, we find this little gem in Proverbs 16.9, which is an appropriate counterbalance to the emphasis on human responsibility of planning. We can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. At the end of the day, we cannot commandeer our lives to the destination that we want them to end up at. The Lord may indeed, and sometimes does, say yes to our plans, so to speak, and brings us to where we hope to be. There are people, maybe you are one, or maybe you know someone, who, who just feels like, Everything I've hoped for in life has happened. And God has been so kind to me, so gracious to me, to bring to pass everything that I really had always hoped for, and always wanted, and always prayed for, and always planned for, and always worked toward. Sometimes that happens. God is a good Father who is not opposed in principle to see your dreams come true and to see you happy and fulfilled. He's not a stingy God who's like, well, I don't, want, I don't want John to get too happy, so I'm going to blast him with appendicitis. Right? God is not like that. That's not the way God operates. That's not how God rolls. God is a good Father who is not opposed in principle to see our dreams come true and to see us happy and fulfilled. So sometimes we find ourselves exactly where we hoped we would be. 
And when we do, if we do, and when we do, we've got to give God thanks for unfolding His providence in our lives in such a way. However, sometimes our good Father, as we sang earlier in the service, crosses all the fair designs we scheme. Sometimes our good Father, as we sang earlier in the service, breaks our schemes of earthly joy. At such times we feel just like John Newton, who penned that song. He's the author of Amazing Grace, by the way, who wrote that one. I asked the Lord that I might grow. Sometimes when God crosses all our fair designs and breaks our schemes of earthly joy, we feel just like John Newton. Lord, why is this? Wilt thou pursue thy worm to death? When we realize that as the 1689 Baptist Confession of Faith says, God has decreed in Himself from all eternity by the most wise and holy counsel of His own will, freely and unchangeably, all things whatsoever come to pass. And we are hurting and frustrated that none of our plans are working out. We cry out with John Newton, Lord, why is this? Wilt thou pursue thy worm to death? Why has God broken our schemes of earthly joy? After all, as I've already shown you this morning, it is not ultimately our will, but God's will, which is determinative of what happens in the course that our life takes. So when we realize that, and then we feel hurt and frustrated by, the, by what's happening in the course that life takes, we feel frustrated with God. And the doctrines of God's sovereignty and God's providence that He freely and unchangeably ordains, decrees, all things whatsoever comes to pass. This seems to us quite distasteful, and quite discouraging, and defeating to think that God, as the Westminster Larger Catechism puts it, God governs all His creatures ordering them and all their actions. Well, why is God ordering them this way then? Why is this? Will thou pursue thy worm to death? So James's instructions here in James 4 begin to feel to us like a necessary evil, so to speak. Something that you just have to just accept. It is the way it is. Wish it wasn't. But it is. I'm just a mist, here for a little time and then gone. I don't know what tomorrow will bring. It's God's will. That's the bottom line. I can't, I can't even see the future, let alone control it. It's God's business. God's controlling it in a way I don't like. But He's God. I'm not. 
It is what it is. Sometimes God's sovereignty and God's providence can feel like this to us when He breaks our schemes of earthly joy, when He crosses our fair designs. When we make our plans, but come to understand that God's plans for us may not be the same as our own, and that He may overrule in a way that is difficult and disappointing for us, even heartbreaking. We may realize that we have to submit ourselves to God's will, but we'd rather not do it because we like our plans. And we secretly feel like we know better than God about how to run our own life and what course our life should take. And in, and in doing so, whether we, whether we voice that explicitly or whether we just kind of secretly feel that way, the heart dynamic is that we're usurping God's rightful place as master of our faith and captain of our soul. Incidentally, this is why James says in the next verse, James 4.16, all such boasting is evil. But that's not the main point of my message this morning. That's not what I'm trying to bring out of this text. At the moment, I'm just trying to show you that even if we accept what James says here, that we don't know what tomorrow will bring, and that we are amiss, and that it's God's will, which is determinative of what will happen and the course our lives can take, even if we accept it, it can feel at first discouraging and defeating, even if we admit that it's true. But I'm about to show you that properly understood, this is not actually a defeating realization, but a great comfort to those who belong to Christ. Another way of saying what I've just said is that we have seen what James says here. So far in this message, we have seen what James says here. That we do not know what tomorrow will bring. That we are missed. And that it is God's will, not ours. Which is ultimately determinative of what happens and the course our lives take. That's what's in our passage this morning. Now I'm about to set it in the larger framework that scripture gives us. And show you how how we should feel about these truths. And the sum of it is this, what I'm about to say to you. We should entrust ourselves and our loved ones and the world we live in to God's loving and wise care. I have a couple sub-points here forming an argument in favor of that conclusion. First is this. If it is true that we are mists, not eternal nor immutable, here today, gone tomorrow. And if it is true that we do not know what tomorrow will bring, not omniscient. And therefore, reasoning from the lesser to the greater, if we cannot know what tomorrow will bring, then certainly we cannot shape tomorrow to be whatever we want it to be. And therefore we are not... um, omnipotent, nor sovereign. If all this is true, then listen, we are in really in no position to do a good job of being masters of our own fate 
or captains of our own souls, let alone masters of the world's fate and the souls of everyone in it, including our loved ones. The best we may be able to do as mists who don't even know what tomorrow will bring, the best we may be able to do is to look out for number one and make decisions that seem to be advantageous to ourselves as insofar as we can ascertain. And sometimes you don't even know. Right? Or perhaps maybe to look out for our little tribe. Maybe not just number one, but number one, two, three, and four. Me, my wife, and my two kids. <laughs> make the decisions that are advantageous for them. Right? That's really the best that we could aim for and do. We are really not in a good position to be able to really be masters of our own fate and captains of our own souls if we're just mists that can't even see tomorrow. But even if we sort of aim at just doing the best for ourselves or our little tribe, we cannot control things in such a way that even we or we and our loved ones are spared all harm. Look, let's just say, let's just say that I said a month ago, stronger than I've ever been, I'm ready to be the master of my own fate and the captain of my own soul. From here on out, God forbid that I should say this, but if I did, from here on out, I don't need God anymore. I'm strong enough. I've reached a point where I don't need this crutch. And I'm going to look out for number one and I'm going to steer everything to the best end possible for myself. Well, look what happened. Right? You see, you can't, you can't even, even if that's your mentality, you can't even do that. You can't just preserve the, your own life and the lives of your loved ones and their comfort indefinitely, ad infinitum, eternally. Look, there's a time when people are going to have to say goodbye to you. There's a time when you're going to have to say goodbye to others. And in between this time and that time, there, are, there is a lot of suffering that is going to happen in your life. It's going to happen. We really are not... It's not even ideal. This is what I'm trying to get across to you. It's not even ideal that we would be masters of our own faith and captains of our own souls. We are woefully inadequate for the job. Woefully incompetent. It's not even an ideal scenario. It would be a pretty bleak and hopeless task to try to be that and do that. And inevitably things would start coming apart. Like trying to grab a handful of mist. So is there a better scenario than we being behind the wheel? Yes. And second, the Bible tells us that there is a sovereign, omnipotent, omniscient being who governs all things. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that He pleases. Man, I felt like I didn't even need to step up and preach after our brother Jonathan prayed earlier in the service. My man stole not only my main points, but my main scriptures too. <laughs> I guess he saw the text I was preaching on and just ran with it. 
Listen, Psalm 115 and verse 3, our God is in the heavens. He does all that He pleases. His sovereignty extends, even as our confession says, even to the first fall and all other sinful actions of angels and men. Acts chapter 4, verses 27 and 28. Truly in this city, they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus. Let's, let's list who was gathered together against Jesus. Both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. To do what? Look here. To do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So when Jesus was crucified, behind it was Herod and Pontius Pilate and the Gentiles and the people of Israel. And behind them was God's decree. Well, even Satan. Yeah, that's not, he's not mentioned in that verse. But, but behind all that was God's decree. Which means as everybody was doing their thing, they were all like pawns in God's chess game and He was bringing things to the end that He had foreordained. You see? So this God of Psalm 115 and verse 3, who is in the heavens and does all that He pleases, rules all things, sovereignly, omnipotently, omnisciently, and Acts 4 demonstrates to us, wisely and benevolently, even with respect to the sinful actions of man and the tragedies, so to speak, that result from them. In His sovereign prerogative, God decrees and uses even the sinful actions of men and the apparent tragedies of this world to bring about His wise and good purposes. Like the crucifixion of Jesus for the salvation of mankind. Look, if there ever was a situation more bleak, <laughs> it's coming to my mind this, this uh, quote from R.C. Sproul, where he said, Look, people ask me, why do, why do bad things happen to good people? He said, that's only happened once, and Jesus <laughs> volunteered for it. <laughs> right? But when, when, when things looked, there was never a time when things looked more bleak. A bad thing was happening to a good person. And Herod and Pontius Pilate and the Gentiles and the people of Israel and as Tevin called out, even Satan were doing their worst. Ah, but he who sits in the heavens laughs. Says, ah, look, I've set my son on my holy hand. Right? And when, when y'all carry out your worst, you gather yourselves together against me and my anointed. It's nothing. In fact, all it does is accomplish the purposes that I have foreordained. And decree. And salvation came to the world through that. Look, this is what God also does with appendicitis and cancer and car accidents and infertility and divorce. And so on and so forth. But there, there are real evil actions of men and angels, as our confession puts it, right? Like Satan behind the crucifixion. There are things that hurt 
because we live in this broken, sin-cursed world. There are tragedies. But as the Westminster Larger Catechism says, God's works of providence are His most holy, wise, and powerful preserving and governing all His creatures, ordering them and all their actions to His own glory. What He does in ruling, what God does in ruling, is not just powerful, but wise. And He does these things for His own glory. I would add to that that He does things not only for His own glory, but also for the good of His people. Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, most of y'all know it. For those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. And our confession puts it like this. As the providence of God does in general reach to all creatures, so after a more special manner, it takes care of His church and disposes all things to the good thereof. Look, sometimes you look back on evil actions of men or the hurt and the pain of life in a fallen world and you see how God's providence in that matter was wise and good for you and for His glory. Sometimes in hindsight or sometimes even in the moment you can see it. But sometimes you can't. But what happened at Calvary tells us that even when everything appears to be terrible and tragedy is the order of the day and bad things are happening to good people evil men are doing their worst God's providence is still not only holy, powerful, so forth, but wise. And God works all things together for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. So whether we can see it in the moment or whether we can see it in hindsight or even when we can't and we just look back and we say, I don't know why that happened. If we are missed, just mists that do not even know what tomorrow will bring, let alone be able to control it, and therefore wouldn't make good potentates of time, as the old hymn puts it. But if God is omniscient and omnipotent and wise and is benevolently ruling over all things, including even the sinful actions of man and the tragedies of this world, to glorify Himself and to do good to His people, which the Scripture teaches us we are and He is, then it stands to reason, as I said, that we should entrust ourselves and our loved ones and the world we live in to God's loving and wise care.
So James tells us that we are just missed and we do not know what tomorrow will bring. It's not our will. It's God's will that is determinative of the course our lives take. This ought to humble us, yes. But it ought not to leave us discouraged or leave us feeling defeated. Rather, it should make us grateful, we who love God and are called according to His purpose in Christ Jesus. It should make us grateful that we are in the care of someone who does know what tomorrow will bring. And someone who is not a mist. Someone who has in fact decreed what tomorrow will bring. And even though it may be heartbreaking in the short term, what tomorrow will bring. Ultimately, it is for His glory and it is for our good. We do not always understand and that is the very reason that it is fitting that we should not be the ones in charge. God does understand. He knows. He cares. And He is well able to bring things to a good and proper end for His glory and for the good of His people.